The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Colin Cullis, we are one of the world's filthiest countries. Uh, we are the biggest CO2 contributor on the African continent. We've got COP26 happening in Glasgow. We've got pledges of money to help us make a just transition. We've got an energy minister who's digging in his heels on burning carbon in perpetuity, or at least until we can afford to do things differently. Um, It doesn't feel like COP26 is going to have an enormous impact on the world. I'm sure it will, but right now things don't look great. They don't, Bruce, and they're likely to, uh, to get worse. Uh, but if I manage to do my job right this evening, I will be able to make a case for our dear energy minister and why his crazy views about not giving in to the global north and giving up on our carbon uh, use at the moment is not a terrible thing. Um, and it starts with this principle of, of a just transition. So South Africa has a, a presidential climate commission that was set up some years ago. Uh, for the for the sake of looking at how we are going to do our part to manage climate change, as you rightly pointed out, South Africa is the largest uh, carbon emitter on the continent. We're the 15th in the world. And so there is uh, a responsibility for us and us as South Africans to say, we're part of living on this planet. And if we don't do something, we will share in the destruction and the horrors that will come from uh, what this will do to to the country and and the world. Um, But there is a difference between saying, right, that's it, stop burning coal, switch everything to renewables uh, and and forget about anybody who worked in any of those industries. We're going to do it all differently because strictly speaking, it's not practical. Um, but I'll come to that element and to see if I can make that argument a little later. The starting point, perhaps, is to, to set up some of the, the jargon, for want of a better word, that exists around COP26. Because we hear headlines often, but we don't actually know what they're referring to or why they're saying those things and what even they're wanting to achieve. Suffice to say that of, of, we've taken more than a century now of knowing what the impact of using fossil fuels is on the environment and choosing to ignore it. We have increased the amount we are emitting and uh, effectively just thought we will kick the the can down the road. Somebody else will come up with a a smart, simple solution to take care of it all. Right now, we're so committed politically to keeping the status quo that private industries were so uh, politically powerful to ensure that citizens were sort of not fully informed or when they did try to become informed, didn't have the same sort of political clout to ensure that something would happen. And so this is the situation we find ourselves in. And I would never think I would turn to the likes of Boris Johnson to sum up the situation they were in. But as the head of COP26, given that it's been held in in, in Scotland, this is what he had to say, just the head of of the conference. This will be the decade in which we either rise up and tackle climate change together or else we sink together into the mire. And the thing that they're referring there that we have to, to tackle are these targets around 2040 and 2050 for getting to a point of being uh, net zero. We're effectively putting more carbon into the atmosphere than we should. The consequence of having carbon in the atmosphere is that it scatters sunlight. It warms up the air. The warming air allows for more, more water vapor to be held into the air. That scatters the sunlight even more. That makes the planet even warmer. We have melting ice caps, shifting uh, climate conditions uh, for places where you have regular rainfall. Western Cape, take it for example, regular rainfall during the winter, less rain during the summer. For three years in a row, a few years ago, they never had those winter rains. There was a massive drought. 
the city, five million people were facing the notions of a day zero. That is a tiny example that is happening all around the world. And for the most part, it's the nations that are living very close to sea level that when those sea levels do rise, effectively simply get removed from the map. And there are tiny island nations for the most part who contribute next to nothing to global emissions, but are paying the price because effectively the global north found these lovely oil provisions, created the industrial revolutions on the back of coal and oil, and have continued to do so ever since. So we've got these two bits of jargon, which is the uh, uh, net zero and zero carbon, which is, is we need to look to tackle. And then there's the notions of the adaptation and the mitigation that are required for being able to do it. South Africa's undertaking, and ESCOM ultimately being the uh, principal uh, carbon emitter, is to achieve a position of net zero by 2050. Uh, and that means they have to stop um, effectively creating energy using coal-based or fossil fuel-based forms uh, and switch to alternatives or find ways of mitigating that. So this is the, the, the notion of um, uh, finding ways to either capture the carbon once it's been produced or find other ways to sequester it. This is planting more trees, etc. cetera. Uh, net zero is a doable thing. We know how much we're putting out, so we know and can calculate how much uh, is required to be able to, to remove it from the, from the air, as it were. Uh, the, the challenge we have is that the kind of coal seams, et cetera, that South Africa has, there's a lot of them, particularly focused around in Pumalanga. Many of our, our, our coal-based power plants are, are based there. And so you have mining industries, you've got the extraction, the transportation, and all of the services that go along with it, including the power stations, and you know, steel foundries and manufacturing plants that would need to be close to that ready energy source of electricity or power to be able to make the most of it. To say, oh, well, uh, let's rather switch to putting some wind farms out in the Eastern Cape or some solar farms in the Northern Cape and, 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 and that'll be done with it, um, means you're not gonna deal with the fact that there are lots and lots of people living there, there's lots of economies over there and you need to look after those things. And so the, um, the notion of getting to net zero is looking to see how do we, how do we compensate for that. Zero carbon is a very big one. And, and the undertaking today to have all internal combustion engines scrapped and moved to uh, you know, only using electric by 2040 goes some way to try and achieve that using a mitigation strategy. So cars themselves or transport would contribute to uh, greenhouse gases, the CO2, global warming. Uh, by making them all electric, you kind of shift where they, um, the emissions mm. came from back to the power stations. And if those power stations themselves are moving to renewables, then you, you, you're taking out all of the carbon as you go along. And then the big ones for us, and it's the real challenge, is how do we capture it? And business unusual, uh, we've looked before at things like um, these air capture things that will suck in huge amounts of, of air. They'll attach, uh, the carbon dioxide will attach itself to a, a particular uh, catalyst. They will then be able to remove the carbon, condense it, and then either reuse it for something else uh, or um, stick it in the ground and, and store it. No, um, I mean, I, I, so where, where is where is the defence of Gweda? Because this is quite. I mean, it, it's it's. I, I I think I agree with you, um, in terms of the the fairness of what the world is proposing. We're okay, Jack. Um, terribly sorry you're never going to catch up with us, but uh, you need to stop using the stuff that is freely and easily available to you. That is, I think, where Montasha's concern is that there's no equity in this uh, arrangement that the rich world is imposing or trying to impose on the poorer world. That, that is exactly it. And I don't think either he's articulating it very well, and I'm pretty sure he does have a couple of other uh, irons in the fire, as it were, that may be from strong lobbies or, or, or people who want to you know, keep things as, as they are, the status quo. Uh, so I'm not making a complete defense for what he's saying, but it is crazy for us to say we need to do as much 
to uh, decarbonize as let's say the US needs to, or even Australia for that matter. Because while we are a very big emitter, uh, comparatively speaking, we, are, we, we, we do about seven, seven and a half tons per person per year of carbon is emitted on our behalf or through our collective activities here in the country. The US is double that, and so is Australia. So the undertaking has got to be that America has got a, you know, it has to show a greater willingness and more effort, more money in order to, to look to do that. And the thing for me that really is in defense of what he's saying is that just one president former to the current one had basically said, I'm out of the Paris Agreement. I'm, I'm not committing to reducing our carbon emissions at all. In fact, I'm leaning in and looking to go for more carbon emissions. Now, given that America is still by no means out of the woods of ensuring that they won't have another leader that seeks to do something similarly, or for that matter that Australia has gone backwards and forwards between how much it is committing to reducing its carbon footprint to switching back to say, but we do have a lot of coal and let's rather sell that coal uh, and let's build power stations uh, to suggest that, well, if, if these you know, developed countries aren't setting the kind of uh, example for developing nations to follow, then developing nations shouldn't already be at a, a, a disadvantage, put themselves at a greater disadvantage for the sake of the optics or for, or for doing the right thing. Uh, this is where we have to say, look, uh, if the whole world burns, us burning a little less is, is going to be much, not going to help us a whole lot. But similarly, and this is where South Africa has to understand its role in Africa, for example, because they're, yeah, we the US of Africa, uh, in that our other countries are going to be affected by climate change. This is not a question of if it's going to be affected, just how much, even with our uh, attempts to mitigate it. In which case, there will have to be movement of people from areas where they could rely on agriculture and they no longer can, or they might have lived in uh, coastal areas and they no longer can. And they will have to move to other parts inside their borders or to other countries. And so for South Africa to sort of think our plan for dealing with uh, climate change is keep doing what we're doing and tell foreigners to go home and, 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 and hope that everybody just lives where they are now without flocking to cities where they are looking for an alternative uh, and an opportunity is just mad. And so similarly, it's only 100 or so k's away from, from, from the heart of Johannesburg where you'll find um, the, the, the place of coal. It is surrounded. It is principally all that is invested in that area are, are coal mines and, and power stations. And if you wanted to simply say, turn them all off, where will those people go? What will those people do? And so this is where the, the migration does make sense. And, and the thing that is kind of useful, and hopefully I'll be able to put a little more detail up online or we can have future conversations about it, is the notion that power stations are where power distribution cables are. There are people who already work in power generation. That's a great opportunity for testing battery storage, um, uh, solar storage, wind storage, depending on how, good, how, how well it works. Mpumalanga has between six and seven hours of sunshine every single day. Transitioning from the coal-based um, generation to solar in that region is not a bad idea. Getting everybody there to switch from building the panels, installing the panels, looking after the panels and the ancillary sort of services that go with it could be a very good option. Uh, and if you're still generating the power, well, you don't have to do anything to the, to the grid, the distribution, to make sure the power can flow somewhere. One of America's greatest challenges they're going to have right now, despite having set aside a trillion dollars to be able to build new infrastructure, is that it's incredibly hard for them to be able to build the, um, the, the cables, the power lines, to move the, the energy, ostensibly a renewable energy, from the middle of America to its coasts. And so that is one issue that at least if South Africa looks to take a slightly different path, which happens to be kind of 
along where these kind of plans and this drastic transition, uh, then I think we do have some hope. Uh, there's way, way more. I don't think I've touched the surface, but hopefully that is enough of a primer that when uh, the poll ahead of the show I asked, do you believe we can become net zero by 2050? 51% said not at this rate. Uh, but 13% did say yes if we act now. And hopefully with more of us becoming aware of what the situations are, what these terms mean, and how potentially we can apply it, and holding politicians to commit to the undertakings of COP26 and then apply them, we may just be able to get this thing done. Colin Cullis, Business Unusual, on a Wednesday.